0: Revelation 5 is one of the most thrilling chapters in the entire Bible. Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we are going to explore nearly every phrase of Revelation 5. And I'm so glad that you are here to walk through it with me. Friends, we are in a wonderful study of the book of Revelation called Things come and today we've made our way to Revelation 5 and I'm calling today the lion and the lamb we're going to explore these incredible titles for Christ and what they mean for our salvation so let's take our Bibles today let's go to Revelation 5 and walk with us through this great thrilling chapter as I always encourage you if you've not connected with me in a personal way I would so love to know who you are. I would love to get a message from you. You know, even though I'm completely blind, I love getting emails. My devices read every email to me. So take a moment and message me this week. Let me know what you think of Awaken to Grace. Let me know how to pray for you, perhaps what the Lord's doing in your life. I love to know where people are listening from as we are on powerful platforms Across all of the United States and Canada and even beyond that. So take a moment, message me this week. You can send an email directly to me at Pastor Chad Roberts at gmail.com. Pastor Chad Roberts at gmail.com. Let's get to God's Word today, Revelation chapter 5. My goal today is, again, to give you such a familiarity with the book of Revelation that it doesn't feel mysterious to you, that it doesn't feel scary to you, but that its goal, its purpose is to see Jesus Christ as the center of the universe, to see Jesus Christ as sovereign, And all powerful and all authoritative that as the judgments come upon the earth. And that's what we're going to get into from chapter 6 on throughout the book. I believe chapters 4 and 5 is to give God's people a remarkable comfort that God is solely in charge and in control. When there is chaos on the earth, my friend, there is absolute control in heaven. Amen. So let's go verse 1. Caleb, read it for me and let's pick it apart.
1: Then I saw in the right hand of
0: him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back. Now remember what we said last week. John records 70 times throughout the book of Revelation, I saw, or I looked, or I beheld. Remember, John is literally seeing these things, and what the Bible says is if anything's going to be true, let it be in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And John is going to give witness. John is going to give witness to the truths of God. And here's the fascinating thing about Revelation to me. Remember, we said last week, there are 404 verses in the book of Revelation, and yet there are over 800 allusions to the Old Testament. You will never understand the book of Revelation unless you understand the Old Testament. And just as John is a witness to the truth of God, so the Old Testament is a witness. And today, we are going to understand by God's grace and through God's Spirit, we're going to understand chapter 5 because we're going to reach way back into the Old Testament and it's going to be confirmed by John the Apostle and by the Old Testament. 70 times John says I looked or I saw now what did he see he saw the throne of God and him seated upon the throne that is God Almighty that is God the father and John says remember what we said last week that the throne was mentioned 14 times alone in chapter 4 And now John is going to continue telling us what he saw and he sees God Almighty seated on this throne and the Bible says that in the right hand of God is the scroll written within and written without and sealed seven times. What does that mean? Well, that actually tells us quite a bit, church. First of all, I want you to note that it is written within and without. In ancient times, in in biblical times, This tells us that what this scroll is, is a legal document. Scrolls were not written on the outside unless they were legal. So you would have a scroll and oddly enough, you wouldn't believe how long scrolls were in ancient times. As a matter of fact, the original manuscripts of the Bible, the ones found in the city of Antioch, which was the headquarters of the church, and the ones found in Alexandria, you wouldn't believe how long they are. I believe, if, 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 if memory is right, uh, Reve- the book of Revelation was 15 feet long. The book of Mark, I think, was 23 feet long. The book of Acts was 35 feet long. These are long scrolls. And what John sees is the scroll sealed seven times in the hand of God Almighty. What is John telling us? What is this scroll? Well, I want to propose to you that this is the title deed of the earth. This is the inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I believe that? Because this is a legal document. Normal documents were written within, but legal documents had instructions on the outside. And in these ancient times, a will or an inheritance or something like that of legality, they were sealed up seven times. Now we know through the next chapter, chapter six, these seals represent the judgments upon the earth. This is the beginning of the tribulation in chapter 6, verse 1. When Christ begins to break the seven seals, what is that? That's the seal judgments coming upon the earth. But the question is why? Why is there going to be a tribulation period? Why is there going to be a great tribulation in the last three and a half years? Why does God judge the earth You got your thinking caps on with me? Say amen if you're with me right now. So let's understand what happened. When God created humanity, when God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and formed Eve out of the side of Adam, when God created humanity, what did God give them? He gave them authority upon the earth. But when Satan entered the Garden of Eden and when Eve was deceived and Adam was not deceived, Adam ate man out of house and home. I want you to know that. Adam rebelled. And when Adam rebelled and sin entered the world and sin came upon humanity, now the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. But what happened to the earth? Man forfeited our legal authority. We forfeited it to Satan. That's why the Bible calls Satan the God of this world. That's why he's the God of this present age. We forfeited our authority. That's why when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, what was one of the temptations that Satan offered him? All of the kingdoms of the world. Why could he do that? Because he's the God of this world. And here, I want you to understand. Say amen if you're with me. I want you to understand the entire purpose of humanity, the entire purpose of history is leading to the kingdom of Christ being established. But see, right now, we're in a foreign land, aren't we? Right now, we are pilgrims. That's why, as we studied last month, when the kingdom of God comes in us, it's the will and the reign of Jesus being exercised. But right now, that's not happening in the earth. you got the God of this world. But what is coming is the kingdom of God. Friends, do you realize there are 1,800 scriptures throughout the Bible predicting the coming kingdom of God? And see, when you understand that, you read the Old Testament through a totally different lens. When you understand the agenda of God, it changes everything for you. The whole agenda is that God would redeem mankind to establish his kingdom. You'll begin to read, Here, this is fascinating, read the book of Joshua through the lens of Revelation and see what you'll see is you'll see the captain of the host, you'll see him sending in Joshua and the armies to do what? To rid the land of the usurpers. See right now we live in a land of usurpers. But the whole purpose of this scroll, the whole purpose of God's plan and agenda is to establish his kingdom. And what does he say? He says, in the right hand. You know what the right hand of God always represents throughout all of scripture? Power and authority. Let me tell you, Satan may be the god of this world, but he's on a very short leash. God has all power and all authority. As a matter of fact, when we get into chapter 6, as we will in a couple of weeks, when we see what's called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you're going to see a phrase through there over and over. And power was given. Authority was granted. Even in Satan's heyday, he is on a short leash. And God is in absolute sovereign control. Amen. The scroll, what is the scroll? We forfeited our authority to Satan. He's now the God of this world. But let me tell you, because Christ overcame that temptation, His kingdom is going to be established. Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And we, thank God, is going to be a part of that kingdom. And, and that kingdom is going to be on the earth. See, my friends, that's why. Do, do, do you know why, as humans, we fear death? Not just because of the unknown and the uncertainty that, that is a natural fear. No, do, do you know why we fear death? It's because you and I were never designed to leave the earth. We were designed to live here forever. But what happened? The usurper came. Satan came and now what is the purpose of redemption? What is the plan of God? It is to restore the earth. It is for Christ's kingdom to come. Friends, that's what this scroll is. It's the title deed of the earth. It is the inheritance of Christ. Now look at verse 2 and 3.
1: And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into
0: it. Now you're talking about a universal search. No one was found in heaven or on earth or under the earth worthy, and here's the key phrase, nor able, verse 3. No one was able To handle the title deed of the earth. No one was able to handle this. And what was John's response in verse 4?
1: And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into
0: it. The Greek here, the word loudly in Greek means to convulse John was so upset. This was such an incredible catastrophe that John wept convulsively. Do you know why he wept so, so loudly? Friends, what was involved in John's weeping was every sin ever committed upon this earth. Every rape, every murder, every molestation. Every hurt, every death, everything that this world is cursed with its sin. And what John saw was because no one was worthy to open the scroll. The sin, the curse of sin was going to remain upon the earth. What a catastrophe. See, if you and I would ever see sin for what it is, it's more than being bad. It's death. It's calamity. It's separation from God. And John saw it, and John wept with all of his might. Why? Because no one was worthy, and no one, verse 3, was able. You should circle that word, able, because there's major truth here. Read verse 5, please.
1: And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. (laughs) Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals.
0: Now, who did we say last week the elders are? Those 24 elders? I argued last week, I believe with all my heart it is the church of Jesus Christ. I don't believe it's angels because verse 11 distinguishes them. You see, the angels with the elders some try to argue that it's both israel and the church 12 tribes of israel 12 apostles of the church 24 elders i don't believe it's israel because only the blood bought only the redeemed only the church of jesus can sing the new song of verse 9 that we have been ransomed we've been bought with the blood of jesus Friends, this is the church of Jesus Christ. And isn't it interesting that the elders recognized mm-hmm. the Lion of Judah? Oh, now follow me. Say amen if you're with me. Amen. Oh, this is rich right here. Why was no one able? See, again, you'll never understand Revelation without understanding the Old Testament. It's critical. How many of you remember the story of a widow in the Old Testament named Ruth. There is a teaching in the Old Testament called a kinsman redeemer. What is a kinsman redeemer? Follow me for a moment. Ruth was a young lady in the Old Testament. Her mother-in-law was Naomi, and both of their husbands died. And to make matters worse... Ruth was not a Jew. She had no inheritance to the kingdom of God. She had no inheritance to the covenant of God. She was a Moabite. Ruth was a Gentile. Outside the covenant. Outside the promises. Outside of hope. And Naomi took her in, but they needed a redeemer. And there was a man in the book of Ruth named Boaz. What a man he was. And Boaz became the kinsman redeemer. He married Ruth and he brought her into the covenant. He brought her into the blessings. He brought her into the provisions. He brought her into the wealth of the covenant of the God of Israel. But see, four things had to happen. You had to have four qualifications in order to become a kinsman redeemer. Now, remember why John is convulsing. Remember why he's weeping convulsively because no man was able. Four qualifications for a kinsman redeemer. Number one, a kinsman redeemer had to be a relative. A kinsman redeemer had to be related. My friends, do you realize that's why John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and Jesus Christ being the word. What's verse three say? And the word became Flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, Christ took on a robe of humanity that he might become Emmanuel, God with us, that he might redeem mankind as our kinsman redeemer. And he became flesh, he became man, he suffered every temptation that we suffer, yet he was without sin, amen? Amen. And now he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. He was 100% God, yet he was 100% man. He became our kinsman, he was related. Number two, a kinsman redeemer had to be able The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the blood of Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost. Amen? I don't care what your past is. I don't care how great your sin has been. I don't care how grievous it is. I'm telling you the blood of Christ is able to redeem and able to save to the uttermost. But that's still not enough. A kinsman redeemer had to be related. A kinsman redeemer had to be able. And number three, a kinsman redeemer had to be willing. Friends, not one person murdered the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not lose his life. He freely laid it down. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He willingly sacrificed himself that he might become our kinsman redeemer. Now, can I tell you my favorite one? Number four, a kinsman redeemer had to be a relative. A kinsman redeemer had to be able. He had to be willing. And number four, he had to assume all legal obligations and responsibilities of the beneficiary. Friends, let me tell you what Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says. It says that Christ was crucified to the cross. And listen what it says. It says, and thus our record of debt, that list of sins that stood against us with all its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he put to open shame, Those principalities and rulers of authority. He stripped them of all power. Amen. Christ assumed our legal debt. He assumed our legal obligations. And see now when you look at verse 9 and you see the new song that we, the elders, we, the church of Jesus Christ is singing, you have ransomed us. You have purchased us. Why? Because Christ is our kinsman redeemer. Amen? And now when the elder says in verse 5 weep No more. Hallelujah. Christ is able. And that's why he's worthy. Amen. Verse five again, please.
1: And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll
0: and its seven seals. So what did we say last week? There is a massive shift in the book in chapter 4. This is an interim time period here. In my view, others may not agree with it. I'm not trying to sell to you on my view. I'm trying to show you what I see in the text. You do your own study. You come to your own conclusion. In my view, Revelation 1, 2, and 3 Represents the church age. Laodicea is the final church of the church age. I believe we right now, the universal church collectively, we are the church of Laodicea. And I believe we are in the last of the last days. I argued last week from scripture, Revelation 4.1, he hears a trumpet 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Thessalonians 4 says that the voice of the archangel and the Lord shall descend. And with a trump, we shall be changed from here to there. When John is harpazo, remember we said the verb come up here is harpazo 14 times. Harpazo is mentioned in the New Testament. There are eight Harpazos of the Bible, the catching up. Who do we say? Enoch, Elijah, Isaiah, Jesus, Paul, Philip, and John. But listen, Revelation 1, 2, and 3 represents the church age. Think, listen how fascinating. There are 24 titles for Jesus in the first three chapters. All 24 titles are Greek titles. Give you an example. We often quote Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. But many people don't know what that means. That's the Greek alphabet. It would be to equivalent to us: A to Z, beginning to end. But many people don't realize that's simply the Greek alphabet. Every title for Christ, all 24 titles are Greek. What's that say? This is the time of the Gentiles, Daniel 9, 24, 25, 26, 27. This is the time of the Gentiles. The eyes of Israel are blinded right now because Christ, oh, I get excited, because Christ is our Boaz taking a Gentile bride. He's our kinsman redeemer. But see, from chapter 4, when the church is harpazo, caught up, there's no more mention of the church until chapters 19 and 20 when the entire tribulation is concluded and the, and the bride of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb and we come back. There's no mention of the church ever again until the entire tribulation is concluded. Why? Because, friends, We're around the throne of God watching the events of the earth from the balconies of heaven. Amen? Now, why is it that all 24 titles of Christ are Greek? It's because this is the time of the Gentiles. Now, from chapter 4 on, listen, every title for Jesus is all Jewish. Why? Because now God shifts his agenda from the church, his Gentile bride... Back to Israel, his covenant people. Amen. His covenant people. Now, here we go. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, we're going to get into these very Jewish titles. Why the lion of the tribe of Judah? Because this fulfills his messianic promise. He is going to come of the tribe of Judah, and what is their symbol? A lion. Amen. See, his first coming, he came as a lamb, Isaiah 53. But his second coming, he's coming as a conquering lion. Amen? He's the lion and the lamb. Number two, the root of David. What does that mean? Well, you're talking about really stumping the Pharisees. When he calls himself the root of David, see, what this speaks of is the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was never created. My little boy Hudson asked me the other day, where did Jesus come from? He's always been. He was not created. Friends, he is the creator. How can Jesus be of the line of David yet be the root of David? It's saying that he's eternal in his nature. Not only will he always be, friends, he always was. Blessed is he who was and is and is to come hallelujah the conqueror because he conquered sin because he overcame he now is the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david the conqueror and then lastly the lamb oh what a beautiful image how did john the baptist introduce jesus to humanity behold the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world amen If you're going to take notes, you should note this. Jesus is referred to a lamb only one time in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet without a word. Only four times in the New Testament, outside of Revelation, is he mentioned as a lamb. But friends, in the book of Revelation, he's referred to as a lamb 31 times times amen Amen. and when these seals break in the next chapter in chapter 6 you know what they're called the wrath of the lamb fascinating now listen to how john describes the lamb of god and between the throne
1: and the four living creatures and among the elders i saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, Mm. with seven horns and with seven eyes,
0: which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now John describes the lamb as being slain. Friends, if something is slain, is it standing up? No. (laughs) You know what John is seeing? He's seeing those nail prints. He's seeing that side pierced. He's seeing the crown. What John is seeing is the lamb as though he was slain. But that lamb, listen, our king is not dead. Our king is not lying in a tomb. Amen? Amen. He is alive and well. Friends, it speaks yet again of the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. As a lamb that was slain. Read the verse one more time for me, please. And between the throne and the four living creatures
1: and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns Mm -hmm. and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out
0: into all the earth. Now, what in the world does this mean? With seven horns, seven eyes, and seven spirits of God. That'd make you scratch your head, won't it? What John is telling us What this represents. See, again, friends, you have to go back to the Old Testament. 404 verses in Revelation, but 800 allusions to the Old. In the Old Testament, a horn symbolized power. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, and we are weeks away from this, but when we get there. Do do you know how I know that the Antichrist is not going to be some incredibly well-known world figure? Because the Bible says that that horn, that little horn, is going to come up little. In other words, obscure. Now, I don't believe that Obama is the Antichrist. Some of you may. (laughs) You're welcome to have your own opinions of that. But let me just note one thing about Obama who had ever heard of him? before he ran for president. If you weren't outside of Illinois, who had heard of Senator Obama? And how fast did he rise to power? I believe we could see very, very easily how a man can rise to the world stage like that. Horns always represent power and authority. Now remember what we said last week, God is a God of numbers, right? There's an architecture to the book of Revelation. You can search and search and search and search, and you can come up with list upon list upon list upon list of numbers of seven in the book of Revelation. Why? Because the number seven represents completeness. It represents wholeness. It represents perfection. God is taking his eternal plans. God is taking his eternal decrees. God's taking the history of mankind and God is bringing it to a completion. And when the Bible says that Christ had seven horns and seven eyes and seven spirits of God, what's all this speak of? The seven horns speak of perfect power. Christ is able and he's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals and execute the judgment upon the earth. He's able to. What's the seven eyes speak of? This speaks, if the seven horns means perfect power, the seven eyes speak of perfect knowledge. Remember we said last week, the seven spirits of God. That's not seven individual spirits. Again, you got to know your Old Testament. In the Old Testament, I believe Zechariah, it speaks of the Holy Spirit having his sevenfold ministry. We saw it in chapter one with the churches and the lampstand. We saw it last week in chapter four. Now we see it again in chapter five. The seven spirits of God speaks of the Holy Spirit and his work upon the earth. And what did we say last week? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. When is is that restrainer going to be revealed? See, some Christians foolishly, you know, they try to figure out who the Antichrist is. Don't waste your time trying to figure it out. It's it's a waste of time. Because you know what 1 Thessalonians 2 teaches? That man of sin, that man of lawlessness. Oh, by the way, what are we seeing in our country right now? nothing but lawlessness. Why? Because it's being prepared for the man of lawlessness. But when will that man be revealed? Not until the restrainer has been removed. And who is the restrainer? The Holy Spirit. Why? Because when that harpazo happens, when the Holy Spirit's removed, everybody that's got the Holy Spirit in them, we're gone. I heard one man describe it like this. I thought this was uh, a good illustration. He said, imagine that you had a box filled with screws and all kinds of filth. I mean, just wood chips and mud and just all kinds of junk. If you wanted to extract all the screws out of that large box, imagine you got a magnet and held a powerful magnet over it. What's going to happen to all the screws? They're going to go up. And when Christ descends... With a trump. Amen. Everybody that's got the property of the Holy Ghost inside them. Friends, we're Harpazo. Amen. I don't even know where I am now in the text. Verse Verse 7. Amen. Amen. Verse 7. And he went
1: and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Amen.
0: See, friends, this hasn't happened yet. This has not taken place yet. We are going to be there to witness it. And let me tell you what makes me so sad when Christians shy from the book of Revelation. Let me tell you what makes me so sad when God's people are like, Oh, no, no, no. You know, some years ago, I was doing a preaching tour through the Middle East and I had the, the wonderful opportunity to fly into Athens, Greece and to leave out of Rome, Italy. Do you think getting ready for that trip, do you think my attitude was, eh, I'll wait till I get there. I'll see what I want to see. I'll just see what's there. I don't know. I, I don't know. No, I planned. I studied. I I prepped. I knew everything I wanted to go to and look. Why? Because that's where I was headed. Friends, you need to know the book of Revelation. Because you and I are headed there. Amen? And some of y'all aren't going to have a clue what's going on because you never read it. Anyway, go on. Verse 8.
1: And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp
0: and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So remember, this is going to help you in your study throughout the entire book. God has distinctive groups here. Angels are not the 24 elders. Israel is most certainly not the church. The four living creatures are not animals. What did we say last week? These are cherubims. These are created angelic beings. And, and here's what's going to help you throughout the book. As, as we get into the tribulation period and we study chapters 6 and 7 and 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. As we study the tribulation, you, you think of it like this. It's like watching a play and there are, there are, the, the curtain is going to close and there are, what, what do you call it in a play when, when it's a break? What do you call that? Intermission. Intermission. So think, I was wanting to say admissions, but I knew that wasn't right. Intermissions. So what's going to happen throughout the book is, so like in chapter six, it's scenes on the earth. In chapter seven, it's a scene in heaven. Chap- chapter eight, we're back on the earth, and so on and so forth. See, to, to a Gentile mind like mine, prophecy is prediction, fulfillment, prediction, fulfillment. Predi- but no, to a Jewish mind, prophecy is pattern, and God speaks in terms of patterns. And if you can find the rhythm and you can figure out the pattern, you're going to understand God's agenda so much better. So what's going to happen going forward is the, uh, we're going to see scenes on the Earth, and then a curtain's going to, uh, in essence, going to go down, and then we're going to be in heaven, and then it's going to shift back to the Earth, and then we're going to be in heaven, and then it's going to shift back to the Earth, and there's a pattern to it. And here's what's going to help you, okay? The four living creatures who are angelic beings every time they speak going forward in the book of Revelation, they're gonna speak concerning things on the earth. The elders, which is the church, every time they speak in the book of Revelation, it's concerning scenes in heaven. And there's gonna be a flow and there's gonna be a pattern to it, okay? Oh, 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 I'm so sorry, Caleb. I forgot the bowls of incense. Let, Let me just touch on that. He says that, All of the saints, all the church, had golden bowls of incense. Now, what is that? Well, John tells us it's the prayers of the saints. Ian Bounds, that great man of God during the Civil War, listen to what he said. Prayers never die. A mother can pray for her children, and that mother can die, but her prayers will never, ever die. They live forever before the throne of God. Amen? So precious friend, the next time that Satan tells you, give up, the next time he tells you, prayers God's not listening, God doesn't care, you've asked God a thousand times and God's not interested, you might as well quit praying, you might as well just stop annoying God, you might as well stop bothering God. No, you go to the book of Revelation and you remind yourself prayer is so precious to God that he preserves them. Amen. Don't ever quit praying. Every prayer meeting we have, friends, we're adding to those great bowls of incense. Amen. You know, I was thinking this morning, this is not Bible an inch. This is just my mind wandering, okay? So don't write it in your notes as though it's commentary, okay? This is not not Bible, okay? But I was just thinking when I was getting ready this morning. I thought if all of the saints are given golden bowls, the Bible never tells us how big they are. We have no idea. I don't know. Maybe they're all manufactured the same. Maybe they're all the same size. But here's what I got to thinking. When God gives me my bowl, is it only my prayer? I, I don't know. I don't, maybe it's not. I, don't, I have no idea how God's going to do it. But I thought if, it's, if God gives me back all of my praying, will my bowl be large or will it be very small? Next verse.
1: And verse nine says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 10 says, and you have made them a kingdom and priests
0: to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So let's thread this all together. Caleb, read the first phrase or two of verse nine for me again. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. So why is Christ... Remember, no man was found worthy nor able. Christ became our kinsman redeemer. And how did he become our kinsman redeemer? For by your what? Blood. You have done what? Ransomed. You have purchased us. You've bought us. You have redeemed us. Because of that, we. what's our song to the Lord? You are worthy. And friends, why is it a new song? Because the Old Testament saints can't sing it. And because angels cannot sing it. Only the church age can say we are ransomed by the blood of the lamb amen Amen. and because of that christ is able to take what the scroll the title deed to the earth for what purpose read it again verse 10 for what purpose
1: and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our god
0: and they shall reign on the earth. To set up his kingdom on the earth. Which was the original plan of God. Amen. And you know what we're going to do on the earth? We're going to reign as kings and priests. Only three groups in the Bible have such privilege. Melchizedek in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And his blood Church. That's it.
1: Verse 11. Verse 11 says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And verse 12 says, Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might,
0: and honor, and glory, and blessing. Now let's work our way backward right here. What do we say? You'll never exhaust the list of seven in, in, in the book of Revelation. What did? What is Christ worthy to receive? Say it again. Power. Power. Wealth, wealth. Wealth. Wisdom. Wisdom. Might. Might. Honor. Honor. Glory. Glory. And blessing. And blessing. Friends, that's no coincidence. What's the phrase before that?
1: worthy is the lamb who was slain verse phrase before that then i looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads
0: and thousands of thousands so see again you have the distinctive groups the church is not israel the angels are not the elders the living creatures are not the church you have to understand the distinctive groups to understand what's happening throughout the book. And let me note this. Again, John said, I looked and I saw. And what did he say about those angels? They were what? Loud. Mm -hmm. Study the sound passages of the book of Revelation. Study what John heard, and it's fascinating. Now, what is myriad upon myriad? What is that? And we'll, we'll begin to close. Myriad is a Roman Term, it is in the Greek language, it is the highest numerical value in the Greek language, and it represents 10,000. What John is telling us, he's not giving us a number, okay? What John is saying is there are myriads upon myriads, thousands upon thousands. In other words, there are so many, the angels cannot be numbered. And again, that's confirmed in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. The Bible teaches that angels are innumerable. And what are they saying along with the church? Worthy. You know what the Bible says in, uh, in uh, oh, I believe it's in Peter. I believe it's in 1 Peter. It says that speaking of so great a salvation, this is what Peter says. Angels long to look. In other words, they are so intrigued that God has redeemed us. And what's their expression? Worthy. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Friends, can you imagine what it's going to be to worship God on that day? Around the throne with every blood bought Christian from every tribe, from every language, from every culture, from every race. Can you imagine what that's going to be? And friends, listen, we are fulfilling these scriptures. When you help us send Bibles to the precious people of Pakistan, you know what language those Bibles are in? They're in Urdu. You know what happens when you help us send Bibles to Egypt? It's in Arabic. You know what happens when we translate the book of 1 John for a people group in southern India that I can't even pronounce their dialect? You know what God's doing? You and I are part of that plan to ransom people out of every tribe, language, and culture. And God's using us to help fulfill it. Amen. Where are we? We're about done. I feel like I've been at a good buffet today. I've had some ribeye, some mashed potatoes, some asparagus. You're making me hungry, I'm Chad, free for lunch if anybody <laughs> wants to get together. I'm actually not free, but anyway, go ahead. In verse
1: 13, And I heard every creature in heaven... And on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And watch what happened. Hmm. Verse 14 says, And the four living creatures said, Amen.
0: Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. When you and I see this with our very eyes, and let me assure you, this blind pastor shall see it with his eyes. Amen. And when you and I see it, when you and I see it with our very eyes, we, the elders, are going to fall down and we're going to worship.